You're listening to Future Thinking from Stylus, the show where our analysts, alongside industry thought leaders, unpack the big trends you need to know about. Find out more about what the future holds for your business at stylus.com. Hello and welcome to Future Thinking from Stylus. I'm your host, Christian Ward, Head of Brand Engagement and Multimedia Strategy at Stylus. Today, we're going to be talking about NFTs or NIFTIs, non-fungible tokens, a very boring sounding term for something that's currently disrupting art and media to an extraordinary degree. So what are NIFTIs? Why are they taking off right now? And what can you do with them? To help me answer these questions, I'm joined by Robbie Young, CEO of Animoca. Animoca is a digital entertainment company specializing in branded blockchain games, and we'll find out what that means in a moment, working with brands including Marvel, Formula One, and WWE. I'm also joined by Stephen Graves, crypto expert and frequent contributor to Stylus, who works as UK managing editor of Decrypt Media, which is a platform that aims to demystify the world of decentralized technologies. So welcome to you both. So first off, Robbie, it would be great to hear about Animoca and some of your recent partnerships and releases. Sure. Thank you for having me. So we are a game developer and publisher. Uh, We've been around for the better part of a decade, and I think are well known in the mobile games environment. And several years ago, we decided to focus on an emerging sector within the game, or I should say subsector within the game industry called blockchain games. And so most of our recent launches over the past couple of years have all been focused on this emerging sector. As you can tell from the name of the business, we are focused on working with brands. We're the biggest licensee of third-party IP, both in mobile and in blockchain. And what that means is we work with brands, as you mentioned, like WWE, for example. We make a mobile game using WWE's brand where we license the brand, but at the end of the day, it's our game. So we pay royalties to use the brand, but the product itself is ours um, as opposed to a work for hire. That is an important distinction. And so we work with various brands, like in blockchain, we work with Formula One, MotoGP, Formula E, as well as other sports brands, so Manchester City, et cetera. Uh, And the idea in blockchain gaming, which I'm sure we'll get into, is that this is an area that's very exciting because thanks to the blockchain technology, particularly around non-fungible tokens, we are able now to allow players to actually own their own content inside games. So this is sort of the latest evolution of a long path that's been plotted since I think people will think back maybe to World of Warcraft days where free-to-play began to take over and consume gaming and the business model of gaming transitioned from one where people used to buy physical media. You know, you used to buy cartridges or CDs or DVDs and, and that was your game experience to today where essentially games are for the most part free-to-play but players spend money within the games for upgrades or customizations or or various virtual items inside games. So before we delve a little bit more into sort of what that means in terms of, you know, what you're purchasing and what you can do with them, I think we should probably define this term of nifty or non-fungible token. I think, Stephen, probably you're the best place to demystify this for us as that's kind of what your your job is at Decrypt. So perhaps you could sort of explain why this thing has suddenly taken off. Sure thing. So NFTs or NFTs or non-fungible tokens, it's basically a pretty simple concept. They're digital assets that are provably unique. 
So most cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin, like money, they're, they're fungible. So if I give you a pound coin or a fiver and you give me a different one back, it doesn't really matter because the two are basically indistinguishable from one another. And what NFTs contain is identifying information that makes each one provably unique. So they're like a snowflake, basically. Um, you can create scarcity for digital objects as a result. And in the last sort of six months or so, the market has just exploded. I think uh, Latelier released a report recently that said it's now worth $250 million. But that presumably doesn't include the, the Beeple NFT from, from, from a week or so well ago. I'll give you a good. I'll give you a good stat. So, according to who was it? Nonfungible.com, one of the firms that tracks market statistics. February's sales of NFTs in 2020 were 11 million dollars, and February sales of NFTs this year were a billion dollars. So it's wow. it's completely insane. I mean, it's it's taken off like a rocket. And the exemplar of all this that's been in all the headlines recently is is this Beeple artwork, which sold for. 69.3 million. I think that's a little bit of an outlier, though, although there are artworks trading hands for large sums of money. I think the more interesting space for brands is in the sort of lower tiers of the market, obviously, where you're seeing everyone from like Taco Bell to Charmin getting into the space. Well, let me just stop. Let me just sort of step back there for a second uh, and go back to people because it's interesting. We, we, we talk about this artwork selling but it's not really what sold, is it? What we're talking about is the, the nifty, the NFT, which is not the actual work itself, but the, the certificate of authentication to say that you own, you own this particular piece of work. So when the person who bought Beeple's artwork for $69 million, what did they actually get? Well, yeah, it's, it's interesting that you raise that point because you often hear people saying, but it's just a JPEG or it's just a GIF. I can, I can right click and I can copy it. And I think that sort of overlooks how early we are in the adoption cycle. So if, if you think about it, it's a little bit like showing off a 1960s computer playing a game of tic-tac-toe or something and going, well, you could play that with pen and paper, you know? Yes, you could, but the point is that you're using it to demonstrate the building blocks for more sophisticated uses and applications. So like you said, you're effectively not really paying for the, the image itself because that's freely available. What you're paying for is really a license to the image, the IP rights to it. And at this point, it's literally, I own this thing. But down the line, you could see how those rights could be made more sophisticated. So you could you know, have an NFT that confers the right to, to modify or to create a royalty stream or, or you know, to sell it on or to fractionalize it or whatever. And it's a space that could expand beyond art. At the moment, you're just seeing it used for, for JPEGs because they're the most simple form of art. And in the same way, the very first stuff that was shared on things like BitTorrent were simple files. They were, you know, Word files and, and JPEGs and whatever. And then that expanded and became more and more forms of digital content. So music, movies, et cetera, et cetera. So down the line, you could see this space emerging or you could see the space evolving such that NFTs aren't just applied to collectibles. They could be applied to stock photos or, or films or even blog posts and tweets and movies yeah. All sorts of things. Okay. I think also, sorry to interrupt. I was going to say one important comparison too is with the traditional art world. So, for example, you know, you could go to the museum gift shop and buy a poster of an artwork that exists in the museum, and for all intents and purposes, 
you frame it and put it on your wall and it looks the same, particularly with some forms of pop art and things like that. But what's different between the original and the copy is not so much necessarily the visual appeal, but the authenticity and the provenance. And one thing that blockchain is really good at is provenance because there's actually a public ledger that says who owned this thing all along the way since its point of origination. And provenance actually then has a big impact uh, potentially on value for things um, in the collectible side of NFTs, because not all NFTs are by necessity collectible. So, uh, Robbie, how, how does it, how is it incorporated into the games that, that you develop at Animoca then? How do you use NFTs sure. to, to enhance that experience? Give you a, I'll give you an example. So we have a <clears throat> we have a game called F1 Delta Time in partnership with Formula One, and we've licensed their brand to create a game based upon the assets of Formula One. So cars, tracks, drivers, team livery, things like that. And it's as you would expect, it's a racing game. But like many kinds of games, there are different aspects to it. So you have the sort of racing game itself, but you also have many levels of meta game. And when I say metagame for you non-gamers out there, that, that just refers to things like, like, a, like a football manager game. Everybody knows football games where you play football, but also a football manager game where you trade players would be considered a metagame. So in this case, the metagame for F1 Delta Time is about collecting cars because they are licensed digital collectibles from Formula One. So if you're, you know, if you're a massive Formula One fan, then you can own a very rare digital collectible of you know, Lewis Hamilton's season-winning 2019 car, for example. And we, because they're NFTs, we can issue them in limited editions. But because it's a game, we don't want to make everything limited and collectible because you want everybody to be able to play and have fun. So we create different tiers of content where there are things that are rare items and there are things that are not so rare items. And so it gives the players the ability to buy and own the content and then they can upgrade it. They can buy tires or bigger engines or better brakes, et cetera. Now, this is not dissimilar from a racing game that you would play today on PC or on your console, et cetera. The difference is that because they are NFTs, the player actually owns the content. And what that means is they can take that content and that ownership outside of the game environment itself. So they possess those game elements as NFTs, which live in their digital wallet. So one day, should the game cease to exist or we stop supporting the game, you know, if that were to happen, you would still own those assets as Formula One collectibles and you could still trade them with people on a third-party marketplace or do what you like with them because they're yours. And the fact that there are essentially property rights now for gamers inside the game opens up lots of new possibilities for interesting gameplay and, and features that you can give to customers. So for example, one is this idea of staking. So staking is something that comes from DeFi. And I don't know if, if Stephen wants to get into a discussion of, of staking, but I'm going to put it in car terms, I think, to make it quite simple, which is that if you have a very highly collectible car, but you choose not to drive it because you bought it because you're a collector and a fan, <clears throat> you can take that car and essentially loan it back, put it on deposit with us. And by doing that, you will earn in-game currency as a reward for doing that, for parking it with us. And you can spend that in-game currency to further kit out your car or buy other cars or do what you like with it. 
while that car is parked with us, we then rent it out to other players. And so, and that's how essentially we're paying for giving the rewards to the person who owns it to, back to the owner, those rental fees, essentially. But by putting the car back into the rental pool, what you're doing is putting it back into circulation for other players to play with. Because if you think about it, the most rare car might be very expensive. It might sell for a high price at auction because it's rare. And this idea of staking and putting it back into a rental pool gives players who could not afford to buy that car the opportunity to perhaps use it on a rental basis. But at the same time, for a player who's not using the asset, they can put the asset back into circulation and earn rewards as a result of doing that. So hopefully you can keep a healthy ecosystem and circulation of assets going. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but like previous to this NFT craze, if you wanted to buy a digital thing, then one of the ways you could do it, I guess, was like you sell it to someone, you give them a password that gives them access to it and they download it. And they and they then own that thing that you sold them. And you and you create a you create a, a barrier by giving them a password or something along those lines. So what's the difference here with the blockchain and, and, and NFTs? What, why is it so much so different from that? What, how is scarcity or value being created in a different way? I think the, the crucial point there is that if, even if you put the, uh, the artifact, the digital artifact behind the password, the artifact itself can still be copied and pasted. So previously, yes, I, you could lock something behind a password, but I could simply copy the asset once I had the password and then disseminate it far and wide if I had the technical sophistication to do so. Whereas now there is a sort of enforced digital scarcity. You can, you can look that item up on the, on the blockchain and you can see that it is unique or it is one of 10 items or 20 or whatever and you simply can't duplicate them because of the way that the the blockchain technology works to, to act as a verification layer effectively so yeah I, I think robbie can probably talk more about this but or well and i think that the, the important point is that because there is that ledger that we can all refer to as the as the official record of ownership it's easy to prove if somebody is faking something. So somebody can try, but then there's a public ledger out there we can all refer to and go, well, actually, no, this is not correct. And, and anybody with a web browser can verify that instantly. So it's it's one of the reasons I think that, that blockchain is being uh, trialed in many countries for public records by governments of things like you know property rights and things like that, because it makes a lot of sense. It's a making public that ledger of ownership is a fantastic way to enforce security. So, Robert, you mentioned earlier that this the digital wallet as being, you know, the place where you can store your your NFTs or or, or the information about what you own. And I, I'd be interested to talk about the kind of process of 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 like owning and and create even creating NFTs. I mean, I've, I created one on for for OpenSea a couple of days ago just to see what the process was like it was fairly complicated i had to set up a metamask wallet and buy mm -hmm. crypto and all this kind of stuff i mean you know i've done similar things before so it wasn't too difficult but i can see that it's there's still some barriers to entry but what i did like about it was this this idea of my of my wallet my digital wallet kind of accessible you know at all times that that has these digital things that i own inside it perhaps Stephen, i don't know you could talk a little bit more about how this will evolve because obviously the ux design of all these things is a little bit complicated the, the process is quite hard but there is some real interesting 
innovation here that I think has potential to, to you know, change a lot of ways that we, we go about interacting with digital stuff. Yeah, so as you said, there's a, there's a couple of barriers to adoption at the moment. And like you said, one of the key ones is uh, the complexity of the user experience. So yeah, in order to, to buy an NFT artwork on somewhere like Rarible, you need to set up an account at a crypto exchange like Coinbase. You need to link that to your bank account so you can get some crypto into it. You need to buy some crypto. You need to set up a web wallet like MetaMask. That involves faffing around with seed phrases and passwords you need to send the crypto from the exchange to the wallet use the wallet to log in at rareable and then you can bid on an nft and there's other issues at the moment like on on the ethereum blockchain where a lot of nfts based there are quite high transaction fees so you have to factor that in as well uh, i mean i bought one a few weeks ago myself for fun and just to try it out and i think the transaction fees ended up doubling the cost of the thing so so i think those are barriers to adoption that eventually will be abstracted away you've got to you've got to remember that you know amazon didn't really take off until one click became a thing and i think we really really need to see a one click way of of buying nfts that abstracts away a lot of the steps in that process obviously some of them you're you're never going to be able to abstract away but if you look at the DeFi space, for example, there's web wallets like Argent, which are doing some interesting things using smart contracts architecture to abstract away a lot of the pain points of, of interfacing with a wallet. And I could definitely see something like that happening to the NFT space. And I think there are, you know, there are a handful of examples of companies that have tried to ease your UI, UX experience so that you can basically just show up with a credit card. And I think this point is very important. And, I, and I'm going to point to our partners at, and friends at Dapper Labs with, with NBA Top Shot that has gotten a lot of press recently for you know, very deserved successes because they managed to hone the onboarding so that if you know nothing about blockchain and you just have a credit card, you can open up your web browser and buy something without too much difficulty. Now, they had to build their own blockchain to get to this point. So it's taken some time, but they are one of the pioneers in the field. And, and frankly, they wrote the standard for the NFT. So they have some, some experience at this. But I think that if we go back and look at other examples of technological development, you know, I like to remind people that you know, if you had an Android phone in 2012 and tried to buy something with a credit card, good luck. And, and, you know, and that was Google. And they had plenty of resources in 2012. It takes time sometimes to iron these things out. But I mean, I think it took Google, what, like three or four years to work out just credit card agreements for doing payments on a global basis. And, and that's one of the biggest companies on earth. But I do think that the, the wider point here is as we make it easier for people to onboard with entertainment products, like F1 Delta Time or NBA Top Shot, where people who are, in these cases, sports fans, see an opportunity to buy cool sports collectibles and they can show up with their credit card. And you know whether it's an NFT or not, they bought a cool collectible that's highly secure and they can trade with their friends on a marketplace. The action of doing that will, will onboard them to blockchain. So that's why the bigger thesis that we have in mind is that you know, really, this is how we're onboarding the next, you know, billion users or whatever you want to call it to blockchain, because entertainment is typically how you reach mass adoption of most new technologies.
Yeah, sure. I mean, it's similar to how I think you could say Snapchat has <clears throat> onboarded people to augmented reality without, you know, most people wouldn't probably think that they're using AR when they use their filters on Snapchat and so on. But it's really, really interesting. I mean, I guess the big question, you know, that our listeners would probably want to, to find out more about is, you know, what what can brands do? I mean, Robbie, you obviously work with brands and are kind of onboarding them on, into this uh, whole world, I imagine. But, you know, we've seen a couple of brands jump into the NFT space recently in some strange, bizarre ways, some fast food and and, and CPG brands. Not sure exactly, you know, whether they're, they're just testing the waters, I guess, and, and, and riding mm-hmm. the hype. But for, for more kind of long-term considerations, what what can brands, do you think, end up doing with this technology? I think it's difficult for me to abstract it from my own lens of gaming entertainment. So I think that already encompasses a pretty large universe of brands. The type of companies we work with are either other entertainment brands, as I mentioned, sports companies or you know media companies that have anime or cartoon characters, things like that. But at the same time, I'd say any type of brand that produces physical objects for sale, you know, like plush toys, for example, you know, in the early days when we started talking to brands and they had, they had difficulty making that leap to understanding how you could have a digital item that um, was secure and unable to be copied. The idea of an uncopyable digital item is, is anathema to how we think about digital. And so the example I used to make to them was, look, you know, you don't have to worry about what happens to this you know, particular thing because there's going to be a limited quantity of them out in the market. And so controlling how it's used in its entirety is not so much of a concern because actually it's not going to be copied forever and ever. There are only going to be a limited quantity out there. And think of when you make a plush toy. So if you're concerned about your brand with the plush toy, you know, you don't govern the rights of what the child does with the plush toy once they take it home. They're not allowed to hit it on the head or push it off the bed or something like that because it's theirs and they own it and they bought it. And so as a brand, you have to think about an NFT in the same way that if a consumer buys an NFT, then it's their right to perhaps take it out of the game from which they bought it and put it on a marketplace or post it on their website because it's their thing that they bought and they own. But because it's only available in a controlled quantity, then you as a brand owner should feel comfortable with that, just the way you'd sell 10,000 plush toys and, you know, not worry about it because that's, you know, you got paid for your 10,000 plush toys. I think there's a really interesting point there about control. You're seeing an awful lot of brands hesitating around things like copyright. So I don't know if you saw in the last week, DC Comics put this letter out talking about how they're thinking about getting into the NFT space. And reading between the lines, it was kind of a warning shot across its artists' bows, because a few months earlier, one of their artists had sold some Batman and Wonder Woman NFTs uh, for quite large sums of money. And if you expand on that, if you think about NFTs as content licenses, you have to wonder how valuable the ones that restrict what you can do with the content are actually going to be in the long term. So if you look at, for example, the NBA Top Shot ones, there is a laundry list of things you cannot do with the content in the NFT. You can't broadcast it. You can't disseminate it. You can't, you know, well, you can sell it on, but, you know, but there's an awful lot of things you cannot do with the content in in the uh, NFTs. And I think the other thing to, to bear in mind is 
you're starting to see brands missing out on opportunities because of copyright. So just today, the guy from that Fleetwood Mac longboarder clip that went viral a few months ago announced that he's turning the clip into an NFT. But because of copyright restrictions, he can't use the Fleetwood Mac song and he can't use the Ocean Spray cranberry juice brand that he was holding in the in the NFT. So it's blanked out. So that is a, a gigantic missed opportunity for Ocean Spray because apart from anything else, NFTs, when, when they become more sophisticated, you could code in things like Ocean Spray gets a cut of this every time it's distributed or every time it's sold on, and they're never going to have that. And on top of that, that NFT is now worth less than the original viral clip because it doesn't have the things that made it unique in the first place. So, yeah. <laughs> and I think one of the things that has been pointed out about the NFT art space, which is very interesting when you think about how, you know, working directly with artists, you know, for artists being able to sell directly to customers through this fashion, you know, is interesting, is that the NFTs themselves can be programmable to actually give commission on trading and things like that to the artists, not just for the first sale, but for future sales as well. So it's possible for the artists to earn long-term royalties from their work, even if it's a, a static piece of visual art, whereas we usually associate royalties with things like music. Yeah, I find, <clears throat> I find that aspect of it really, really intriguing. Decrypt has some uh, crazy announcement today, right, Stephen? Yeah, so we've just launched the Decrypt token in our app. So the Decrypt token isn't an NFT. It is a, it's a cryptocurrency token that functions as a reward mechanism within the app. So it doesn't have any monetary value or anything like that. And readers can earn it by interacting with stories through our app so they can you know, share them or like them or just by reading them, actually. And then once they've collected a bunch of these in their wallet, which also we've abstracted away a lot of the, the janky stuff and made it basically enter your email and you have a wallet. Once they've collected them, they can then spend them uh, on cool rewards that we are going to drop week by week. And the first lot of them are going to be some NFTs that we've uh, commissioned. Fantastic. So cool. Very exciting. We're we're interested to see what it does. I mean, the, the, the main interesting thing about it is that each sort of season of tokens that we're doing is sponsored with a partner. So the way we see this working is potentially disrupting the, the sort of media advertising space and providing a way for publications to get revenue from advertisers while still providing a better experience for readers. Wow, cool. fantastic. Big, big ambitions. That's brilliant. Now, obviously, there's a lot of exciting potential here, but I feel like I have to address the elephant in the room, which is the sustainability issue and the carbon footprint that the blockchain generally and NFTs potentially also have. Stephen, perhaps perhaps you have thoughts on this in terms of the environmental impact and, and whether it's as terrible as some people have been making out. I, I think it's a problem at the moment, chiefly because large portions of NFTs are running on the Ethereum blockchain. And Ethereum is what's called a proof-of-work blockchain. And that means that the consensus um, mechanism basically is, is a very, very energy-intensive one. It's, it's computers running calculations constantly. It's the same as Bitcoin. And what you're seeing is you're seeing some NFT marketplaces you know, using carbon offsetting. I think Zora is one of the ones that's doing that. That's kind of a Band-Aid solution, really. It's, I wouldn't say it's greenwashing, but it's not a, a long-term solution. I think what's more interesting and, and is kind of overlooked in the discussion is that already 
some blockchains like Flow, I think, use a mechanism called proof of stake, which is a much less energy intensive mechanism. It's orders of magnitude less energy intensive. And crucially, Ethereum is planning to migrate to a proof of stake mechanism in the not too distant future. So in the next couple of years, I would say the, the main argument against them, which is that they're running on this proof of work consensus mechanism is going to go away. It's kind of like someone in the 1800s looking at a steam engine and going, we should stop building engines. Well, no, because if you compare it to a modern, you know, Mazda internal combustion engine, the modern one's a lot more efficient. And you, you, you want, you need to make that progress. You can't just cut it off in its tracks. So. The other part of that, the, I guess, the calculations from the sort of people who are concerned about the environmental impact, the calculations can be misleading because even in a proof of work environment, you're basing it on um, a transaction. And a transaction does not equate to a token because it can be a, an unlimited number of tokens in a transaction or an unlimited number of NFTs. So I could, you know, I could make a transaction to send across the every NFT in my game in one transaction, and it would have the same carbon footprint as just one single item. And so it's very difficult to account for exactly what that footprint would be because you don't know actually how many NFTs are going back and forth. Robbie, I I, ha I ask my guests three quick questions at the end of every episode. So if you're up for, for answering them, the first one is, if you had a million dollars, where or in what would you invest it right now? Good question. I think I would actually probably, I can't help but answer it in a corporate way because it's kind of what we're doing as a company, but I would place a lot of small bets in this segment because I think that it's very, very exciting. And I think there are, we're, we're still very early. I think the successes of the NFT art market and NBA Top Shot in particular over the last two months, three months have proven that there is really an industry to be had here. Whereas for the last three years, there were only a small handful of us who, who prayed and hoped for that and believed. But now I think we have some validation. But at the same time, I think if we make comparisons, for example, to smartphones and, and apps in app stores, I think we're still in 2009, frankly, 2010. And so I think the not just the best is yet to come, but frankly, it's still very early. But it's encouraging that we see so much activity in the sector now. So I would say... I would place lots of small bets because there are great projects coming up all the time. Some of them raise money through token sales, but I think there are many ways that people can get involved for small sums of money. So I would place as many bet different bets as I could. Okay. So what's a consumer problem or challenge you don't think has been successfully solved yet? A consumer problem or challenge? I think that, oh, there's a lot of them. I, I think what we always try to do in technology is we try to make things as frictionless as possible. And I think, frankly, one of the things that we're enabling with, with technology these days is more efficient payments, but distribution is still, still so problematic and the cost of distribution. And I think also we've seen in the pandemic that physical distribution is has is becoming more and more important the more we lead online lives and i think that's only going to increase especially cuz people like us are pushing metaverse entertainment products <laughs> and finally which individuals or brands do you look to for inspiration in your work 
there's a there's a very very long list but i actually i like creative companies i have to say one of the most interesting companies i've ever visited is is one called ido in silicon valley and they design consumer products and and user interfaces they do digital work physical work etc but it's it's fascinating to me that they have systematized the idea of creativity at being able to harness creativity and produce creativity from a group of people through a methodology and for me that's really inspirational fantastic well thank you so much i i find this whole subject very fascinating and i'll find it a lot more fascinating if my nft sells for a lot of money obviously which it won't clearly anyway i would like to thank my guests robbie young and stephen graves and thank you for listening i hope you'll join us next time for more future thinking from stylus you've been listening to future thinking from stylus the show where our analysts, alongside industry thought leaders, unpack the big trends you need to know about. Find out more about what the future holds for your business at stylus.com. If you like what you heard today, make sure you subscribe to Future Thinking in iTunes or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts to hear new episodes as soon as they're available.